Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, the podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of May 28th, 2020, including Minecraft Dungeons is now available. Phil Spencer speaks on how COVID-19 may delay some Xbox games in production. G2A admits to selling stolen games and more. Welcome to episode 51 of Xbox On. Man, I don't really know how we're going to top an episode like episode 50. You know, last week was a, a real banger. I don't know what happened last week. I guess people are just kind of drawn to like milestone podcasts or something because after episode 50 went live last week, I just got a weird tiny little influx of like YouTube subscribers and Twitter followers and show clicks and things like that. I don't, I don't know if there's like a group of people out there who are just like looking for podcasts that have hit episode 50 and they're like, oh shit, this guy's got 50 episodes of this podcast. Must be a, must be a show worth checking out. I guess, uh, you know, I saw this show a couple weeks ago. It looked like he was at 44, 47, 48, man, he's at 50. That's a, that must be a good show right there. I don't, I don't know what the, the reasoning behind it is. Maybe there's just a, uh, some lucky algorithm catching there with, uh, my, with my tagging and SEO and titling of my podcast. But nonetheless, it was just, it was one of those weeks where I'm like, Oh shit. Sometimes people actually listen to this show. It's not just, uh, it's not just my brother and my, uh, friend who's totally real lethal migraine, not a made up person. So anyway, welcome to another exciting week of me talking about Xbox. I'll be honest with you. It's been kind of a slow news week. We've got a handful of stories, nothing, you know, all of like mild interest. So, uh, let's see if I can, you know, I, I spoke last week about trying to not let this sh- show drag too long every episode. So maybe we'll hit a nice 50 minute episode this week and, and I won't waste too much of your time and, uh, we'll have a nice show, but maybe the stories will be so boring that you'll, uh, bleed out of your ears and have to, um, start listening to podcasts by reading vibrations from sound waves because my, I don't know. That's kind of how audio already works anyway. But anyway, here we go. Jumping into this week's show. Shout out, as always, you know, comments, questions, things written in by the audience we will jump into. Our first one comes from Mr. Dead Captain James, who says in response to Respawn starting a third studio, he's, he goes, I will play anything Respawn makes at this point. They have my complete faith. You know what, Dead Captain James? I concur 100%. Respawn is an excellent developer who I think has given everyone every reason to trust them. They they left Infinity Ward, they started Respawn, and they made Titanfall, which is just a super incredible, kinetic, awesome uh, multiplayer game for the early Xbox One. And then they come around with Titanfall 2, which is just more awesome Titanfall, but this time with a super kick-ass campaign that was just super underappreciated and underplayed, and, and that's a crime, but unfortunately that's the case. And then they they go, hey, we're gonna make a we're gonna make a, a battle royale game. Even though those, those games aren't very much Jesse's cup of tea, we're gonna make one, but it's gonna be good and he's gonna like it. And everyone's gonna like it because it's it's awesome. And Apex Legends is somehow pretty good. And then they're like, hey, now we're gonna make a Star Wars game, even though everyone hates that franchise at the moment. And then they made a pretty awesome Star Wars game during a period where Disney and Lucasfilm were trying their hardest to butcher that franchise with the rise of Skywalker. So 
it's uh it's been pretty exciting time you know if you're if you're a fan of respawn or an employee of respawn or ea games who owns respawn it's just they're a great studio continuing to put out great shit dead captain james i will uh, i will drink my mountain dew to that statement our next one here comes from a new whoa uh alert uh a, a, a listener alert we've got a new commenter we've got mr sarugi one who n- who comments stumbled across your podcast a couple weeks ago loving the content mate keep it up thank you so much for commenting it's uh refreshing to have another voice on the comments the shout outs section i welcome you to the show i really appreciate you commenting and listening in and hopefully we can uh keep you coming back for more with my with my banter my back and forth with Mr. Lethal Migraine on on uh, why Microsoft shouldn't be using Unreal Engine to develop first-party games. And then our next one, whoa, oh my god, we got, guys, you won't, whoa, guys, check this out. We've got another new commenter, Mr., sorry if I'm butchering this, it's either Om- Omarketer or Omar Keter. I'm so sorry, man, I'm definitely butchering this, but uh, Omarketer Gaming, he says, bro, love the podcast on Spotify, took some research to find the YouTube channel, but I found it nonetheless. Great stuff. Thank you so much for your comment. Genuinely, I like it actually makes me like a little flustered and, and blush a little bit. The fact that complete strangers are telling me that they enjoy my podcast. I don't even enjoy my podcast, so thank you so much. Yeah, that's that really means the world to me. Welcome to the show. Uh, hopefully, again, uh, much as Sarugi won, hope, I hope that you will be here for many episodes to come, commenting, listening, and enjoying my bullshit. And you are welcome to uh, share your mind, share share your thoughts on this channel at any time. Disagree with me. Tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm awesome. And leave those sweet, salty five-star Apple reviews as to why I'm so great um, so that we can artificially inflate my numbers. And then our next one here comes from Mr. Lethal Migraine, who says, Respawn should make a My Little Pony game. To which I said, about time someone says it, someone speaks, someone's speaking the truth. I think, uh, I don't know, well, looking at what Lethal Migraine here says about Respawn making a little My, My Little Pony game and then going back up to Dead Captain James saying he'll play anything Respawn makes at this point, my guess is that, you know, if Lethal Migraine has some cosmic powers and can make the stars align in such a way that Vin Zampella and the team at Respawn decides to make a My Little Pony game, looks like Dead Captain James is going to be playing a My Little Pony game, so uh, that'll be exciting to, to see how that goes. But then we got, oh, what is this? Sarugi1, our new commenter for this week, comes back and actually leaves a detailed comment, which is a very welcome thing. He goes, how are you finding control now that you've had more time to play it? I picked it up last week uh, on sale as well after hearing that it, um, it dabbled into some Alan Wake stuff. To me, it's playing almost exactly like Alan Wake, which is great because that game was incredible. In my opinion, it deserves a sequel. We will get to that question in a little bit when we go to what I've been playing so hang on there for that then my brother comes in here and with a with an interesting something to chew on he goes in regards to respawn and EA is kind of growing studios he says I suspect that the different respawn teams are because EA is going to rebrand them as different studios which is funny because as you said EA has gutted so many teams and now they're pretty much making new ones to replace the old ones with maybe they'll give us a dead space Four ellipses so this is actually pretty much right because we know that the second team that Vince Pell is heading up that's that was like a former dice team is getting a, re- a renaming so this is probably exactly what's happening is is uh, EA turned around and said hey we we got rid of all of our talent 
fuck, what are we going to do? And then they looked at Respawn. They said, hey, we haven't fired all you guys yet, and you seem to make good games. What if we just uh, what if we just take you like a rag and wring you dry of all your fucking skill and spread that across like four studios, and then all of a sudden it looks like we have a full slate of like working studios that make great games. So I don't know. Maybe that's EA's plan. I've, that's a possibility, I, I suppose. And then after that, and then we've got a little interaction between Lethal Migraine and Sarugi One here on the whole Mixer conversation. I chimed in a bit as well. Lethal Migraine says, Mixer's struggle makes no sense. The delay is sub one second and the users are much nicer to people than elsewhere. I totally agree with that, by the way. And so I said, yeah, I think it's as easy as gamers just want the big one, meaning that Twitch came first and built a big name and no one wants to deviate. The only reason why YouTube and Facebook can compete is because with their streaming services, they already have a massive base of people who are already built in using them anyway. So it's really easy for them to click on or off a stream when they're already on those services anyway. So Sarugi comes in and says, Mixer to me has always felt a bit off. Uh, as someone who doesn't watch much game streaming, the only time I, I used it was uh, to try and watch E3 and it just felt a little janky and cumbersome. It's always easier to watch things on YouTube. You know, that's not a bad point. I will say Mixer does have that uh, thing where it's a little more navigation, a little more menu fiddling to kind of get to where you want to go. I, I agree. I I mean, Mixer, the number one thing I've used Mixer for is also things like watching E3 or watching the Game Awards or watching an e, like an IGN stream or something because usually whenever I, I know I have to watch some video game related stream and I just know it's going to be streamed via Mixer because it has some relation to Xbox, then I always just default to Mixer, mo mostly just because I want to use Microsoft service and I want to support Microsoft and I want to, you know, watch the Microsoft thing on the Microsoft service because I like that arbitrary kind of coherency. But yeah, I totally actually agree with this, that sometimes Mixer does feel a little obtuse and maybe that's not so much how it actually is if you're someone who knows how to, to totally work and, and uh, use Mixer. But if you're someone who barely dabbles in it, it is kind of a daunting system. It's especially that all that meta stuff they have in there, all the leveling and the kind of badges and things you can use. It's really kind of off-putting to people who don't know how to use it. And yeah, Twitch has some of that stuff as well. But with Twitch, it's a little easier if you just want to kind of casually jump in and out of. Whereas with Mixer, it seems like more of a commitment to really use the platform. But that being said, Said, I still think Mixer is a cooler service. I still think if you take the time to try and learn what it's all about, I think it offers more. But ultimately, that's not what people are looking for. People are looking for the thing that's easy to jump in and understand why it works, why they need it. And I think Twitch probably offers that the best or YouTube because YouTube is, of course, all about video content. Lastly, we got Mr. David White who comes in and says, what is the ESRB rating for Car Mechanic Simulator? Do the mechanics do drugs or engage in premarital sex? So this is a this is a very thought provoking question because while we can assume that in Car Mechanic Simulator is a very E for everyone related game just because the simple nature of you're purchasing cars, you're fixing cars, you're selling cars, you're test driving cars. It's a very innocent enough premise for a video game, but we can't be too sure that the game is that innocent because let's not forget you know, as someone who works in the automotive industry, let's lest we forget the kinds of activity that that uh, car owners and, and and car enthusiasts are really using. You know, why would someone need their you know their Pontiac GT to be fixed up good as new? Why would anyone even buy a Pontiac GT? Well, it's a fair assumption that if someone's bringing that Pontiac GT into the shop and all they really need is just to get the engine running, to get slap some new tires on that bad boy, and then, you know, they got to get it done quick because they're running down to Miami, chances are that's a, that's a drug dealer, you know? You're probably 
fixing up and, and, and flipping cars for people who are using these vehicles to engage in the illegal sale of uh, recreational drugs. And I, I think it's very safe to say that you're a major contributing factor to the spread and circulation of illegal narcotics in this game. And for that, I, I do think there's a case to be made that this game should be rated AO, possibly. But yeah, just uh, for the moment-to-moment gameplay, sure, simple enough. But I don't know. I've seen some shit happen behind the scenes in the automotive industry, and it's uh, it's not a not a pretty place. But thank you for your thoughtful inquiry, David White, and to everyone who commented and listened this week. I greatly appreciate it. And now we will jump into what I've been playing. But of course, as always, remember, don't be shy, guys. Reply. Uh, not shy, guys, like Nintendo. This is an Xbox podcast, so don't don't go there. All right, and now we'll get into what I've been playing. But of course, before we can really go into what I've been playing, I got to tell you what I've been eating. And what I've been eating this week is, uh, bear with me here, it's workplace pizza. So let me elaborate if, you, if, if you'll have me. Um, so someone earlier this week, you know, at work, we have a break room at work. We have a refrigerator in, in that break room. And someone came up to me at work, a co-worker, and said, hey, I got these free pizzas here. He had three free pizzas. And I was just like, I'm not going to question that. It's free pizza. And so he goes ahead and he plops them down the break room and goes, have a slice. I'm like, shit. So, you know, I wrap it up with this uh, customer I'm working with. I basically tell him, you know, oh, go to hell, whatever. I'm going to go eat pizza. And then I just run away. I half-ass my job and I run, I uh, I waft in, I I float into the break room like a cartoon character smelling the pie and just kind of floating towards the break room. I I go with the pizza and I start mowing down on this pepperoni goodness. And um, immediately my coworkers are all just like, grass, it's pizza, it's unhealthy. And I'm left with this like, wait, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I guess a little bit of context, you know, I the job I have is a job that attracts a lot of like regular people. And I don't really know how to how to say that other than to say, you know, my coworkers are very much like, you know, for and not in a, in a mean way, just regular Joes, you know, they like to watch Netflix and work out and eat right and go to the beach and engage on Instagram or whatever it is, you know, they're just normal people. And I can't really wrap my brain around that headspace because I myself am a a cool, edgy guy. I like to play Xbox and eat fast food, despite my doctor telling me I'm overweight and have high blood pressure and just continue to be uh, negligent of my personal health and physical and mental. And uh, I just like to eat the fucking pizza if it's there. And I got a lot of criticism from my coworkers. Why are you going to eat that pizza? It's disgusting. It's unhealthy. I'm like, what the hell? So they're sitting there. They're eating their salmon and their broccoli and their kale, their quinoa. And I'm thinking, well, if you guys aren't going to eat any of this, I'm just going to put the rest in the fridge and then eat it every day this week for lunch. I'm not going to have to bring anything to work. I'm just going to have free pizza waiting for me at any given time. So I've successfully done that, you know, three out of the five days so far this week at work. I've eaten pizza every day and it's been wonderful. And, you know, every day I get... I get a little bit of snickering from my coworkers. Ew, that pizza's two days old. You're gonna eat that pizza now? It's like, yeah, I'm gonna fucking eat that pizza while you while you cry over the fact that you're you've been relegated to this parfait and this kale salad while I'm over here, you know, in pepperoni heaven. So a little bit of judgment from my coworkers, uh, as as it sounds like I'm judging them a bit as well. But you know, they're all good people. I enjoy the the staff I work with. It's just I don't know. I guess. It makes me uncomfortable that I just can't be negligent of my health and, you know, gorge myself and indulge like I'd like to while knowing that they're kind of looking at me weirdly. I think it would make me feel a lot better if someone came in and enforced for all my coworkers 
to start, you know, assuming poor lifestyles, like not working out and eating poorly so that I can feel better about myself in the work environment. I think that would be a more suitable solution probably if maybe uh, someone came in to regulate, oh, well, your, your, your meal hits too many parts of the, of the food pyramid. You can't eat this, this meal here, have a, have a brownie milkshake instead. And then I won't feel so bad about the fact that I'm eating pizza every day this week, you know, leftover gas station pizza. But yeah, that's, that's what I've been eating. I've been enjoying it, but I I'm, I'm self-aware. I, I, I realize that maybe not everyone in their twenties is like me living like they're nine years old with um, all the decision power that they shouldn't be allowed to have because I'm, I'm certainly squandering my health in, in here in my mid-20s. But we will now move on to what I've been playing. Speaking of uh, things that are unhealthy for you, I've, I haven't been physically active. I haven't been playing my Wii Fit. I've been playing drum roll. Actually, first of all, shout out. Shout out to my Minecraft Dungeons. Minecraft Dungeons released this week. Of course, it is uh, Microsoft's newest game in the first party lineup, although of course it is available on Nintendo Switch and PS4 because Minecraft is just available on everything. Yeah, so I actually played this game a lot the other day when it first launched, and I love it a lot. I think it's actually really great. I've never been a big Minecraft person. I've always liked the art style and thought it was kind of charming and cute. I really love the music of Minecraft, but I've never actually enjoyed the game itself. It's too tedious, and I don't want to build stuff if I know it like, doesn't actually do anything. Like It's one thing if, if, like, if I had like, the actual ability to like, make a game or like build a car, I would do that in real life, you know, if I could, if I knew how, if I had the patience for it, but I'm not going to like build a world or something within Minecraft knowing that once I'm done with it, that thing is basically useless, you know, there's nothing I can do with it, so I don't have the patience for that, the whole like games with building mechanics thing is definitely a thing for a younger generation that just, you know, doesn't resonate with me, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't want to play Minecraft, I wanted to play like action games, I want to play platformers and shooters and stuff like that, so I, I can't wrap my brain around regular Minecraft despite it being something that I respect, you know, it's an Xbox game, you know, it's Microsoft's own property now, so I have to respect it, I have to blindly love it, otherwise I'd be a bad Xbox fanboy, but Minecraft Dungeons, definitely a great way to get people like me into Minecraft, and I don't think that's why they made it, I mean, they make it for, you know, Minecraft fans to give them more ways to enjoy the Minecraft universe, but I think, you know, also, you know, subsequently, it, it attracts people like me who go, you know, well, I, I like the aesthetic of Minecraft. I, I don't have anything against Minecraft, but it's just not my kind of game. Well, Minecraft Dungeons, it's a fairly adequate dungeon crawler. It's very fun, actually. Um, yeah, it's very basic. You know, there aren't too many dungeons. The game's not too difficult. Um, the loot system isn't too dynamic or like, or it's not, it's not super like in depth. You can't go like too far into it. Um, the types of weapons you can get is pretty surface level. The types of upgrades you can do are pretty basic, but I think that's the point. It's kind of meant to be, you know, like a kid's first dungeon crawler. It's not supposed to be Diablo. It's supposed to be, you know, Minecraft's Diablo light. And I think it really excels at that. The dungeons are really cool. I think there's enough uh, loot and kind of variety in items and in upgrading that it's engaging, but not like overwhelming. And yeah, it's definitely light on content. I pretty much played almost every level in just a day, but I, that's fine. They're just going to add a bunch of stuff over time anyway. This is going to be one of those things that just continues to grow and evolve over time. So I don't really give a shit about that. I, I see this. This is one of those games that kind of launched as one of those, like here's part one. There'll be more later and more later. And 
you come back in a year or two, Minecraft Dungeons is going to be one of those games with like 10 times the amount of content it launched with. So I don't really personally care. Um, I guess it's a fair criticism if you're looking for Minecraft Dungeons to be a game you play for 50 hours or something, but I'm more than happy to just spend like five to 10 hours with it and call it a day. And yeah, just so far, I've been really enjoying it. Definitely looking forward to playing it with uh, some some co-op people and trying that out. But a shout out to Xbox for another game, you know, another Xbox Game Studios game releasing this year. They've been on a, a huge roll with Ori and and Bleeding Edge and Minecraft Dungeons, and they got Wasteland 3 coming out soon. They just, they're on a big roll with, you know, Gears Tactics, all these games just coming out, boom, 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 despite, you know, uh, or coming off, you know, a couple of years of something of a dry spell where there just weren't a lot of Xbox first-party games. So this is really, really exciting and awesome. Um, and speaking of Wasteland 3, I, I saw a handful of developer diaries that went live this week and the game looks super good i'm i have all the confidence in the world that wasteland 3 is not going to be my game and that i'm not going to beat it and stick with it but i'm very excited to try it out and at least like try to understand what the game's about and try to see how how much of it i can enjoy before it's time for me to put the controller down so i don't know i'm pretty excited to, to just try and really get out there and play some new types of games and having studios like in exile and, and stuff like that, join the the family at Microsoft at Xbox makes it, you know, a little more exciting to get out of my comfort zone and try some new things. It's like, Oh man, I'm getting, I would have never played a wastelands game, but you know, now it's an Xbox game. That's, it's exciting. It's just an exciting excuse to play something you wouldn't normally try. And maybe that's a little unfortunate that it takes something like, you know, like a corporate overtake of a company for me to pay attention to the games they've been making. But I don't know. It's a, it's a cool way to get some people interested. And, I, and I'm sure this is happening or and will continue to happen across all Xbox game studios where you'll see a lot of people start to play games they wouldn't normally play just because man, it's an Xbox game. I want to try it. You know, I want to see what the Xbox owned studios are up to. But yeah, aside from that, keeping with our uh, Nordic European theme, you know, our, our Swedish friends over at Mojang who make Minecraft, we're going to stick with another kind of Nordic European title. We've got Remedies Control, which I finished this week. Now, I know last week I was saying I was mildly disappointed in the game. I don't know what I was expecting, but the game just kind of wasn't living up to my expectations. So this week I kind of sat down in like two sittings and really just plowed through the remainder of it. Not to get through it, but because I was kind of got more into it. Um, I definitely appreciate the game a whole lot more um, having pl like played through the entirety of it now. And then after I played through the game, I, I got kind of really interested in, you know, the rabbit hole of what is this game about? What is this story? What is happening here? And just reading a lot of threads, listening to some podcasts um, with interviews from developers at Remedy and just kind of trying to gather more information on this game and what Remedy was kind of working on when they when they did this. And after that, I, I like my appreciation and respect for this game went up even higher. Like now I'm at I don't know. I'm, it's like I, the credits rolled and I went from like, oh, this is a good game that I'm mildly disappointed into like, oh, this is a pretty great game. And then, you know, after kind of reading more about it and trying to learn all I could after the fact, now I'm at like, wow, that's a really, really groundbreaking game just because I really appreciate the stuff that Remedy was trying to do with just really pushing boundaries in storytelling in a video game, which I think is just so critical because... I, I'm not going to lie, you know, we, you got to be honest as a gamer. Video games have really pushed new new boundaries when it comes to narrative in gaming. I think, you know, we, we think of games like Journey and games like The Last of Us and these kinds of seminal, like, modern games that are really 
defining what like what narrative in a video game can be and i'm really glad we have that because that's you know aside from gameplay mechanics that's the thing that matters to me the most in video games is narrative and i really think it's a, a quite an underserved medium of art that that people just overlook you know gaming's one of those things that most people think of as just a form of like winding down and goofing off and playing and just like kind of turning your brain to mush and having fun and video games can absolutely be that and i'm glad that they are and i love them that way too but I also think video games um, are a really powerful tool for storytelling, and I think it has so much potential that movies don't have, and that books don't have, and all these other things. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that you know video games have more potential than books or movies, but I am trying to say video games have a different, you know, there there's something that makes that medium different, and that if you really explore what those differences are and how you can manipulate those differences to make storytelling unique and, and fun in a way that's never been before, then I think you can really bring out the best in gaming. And, and that's something I've really been excited about these past 10 plus year, 10 or so years that we've really started to see game developers as they truly get seasoned and, and start to get great writers and really explore these possibilities kind of do is, is we've really seen narrative in gaming explode in a way it never has before. And I think controls are a really perfect example of that because even though still to this day, um, despite all the reading and podcast listening to, I've, I've, I've tried to do in order to understand control. I, um, it's still an incoherent mess to me, but there's enough there now where it's like there's a lot I can divulge and kind of just chew on and think about, uh, even though I still don't fully understand it. And it's it's really great because last week I, I talked about how the game attempts to kind of bring the the genre of the new weird into into gaming, which is a genre that's been explored a little bit in TV and movies, but mostly just in, in the form of, of novels. And it's really exciting to see this come to games because, again, it's it's like, well, how can the medium of gaming push this genre that's, you know, traditionally only seen in the literary world forward. And I think control is a perfect example of how you do that. And, and, and I'm not going to get into specifics. This isn't a, an episode about control. This isn't an episode about, you know, about the new weird genre. This is, we're going to talk about news at some point, but I just think this is a really important conversation in gaming that we just don't have often enough. And games like control really inspire me to think about this conversation and to, and to share this kind of information with you guys. Cause at the end of the day, I don't know. I, I don't really give a shit if it, if this is a kind of thing that makes people upset. But I I think video games are a very serious form of art that you know really connect with me and speak to me in in a way that makes me excited to share this with people. And that's you know anytime I've ever thought about like the dream job of like if I worked in the games industry, it, without a doubt, it's always been like man, how cool would it be to be like a game director or a storyteller, like a story writer, um, a writer or a director at a game studio and help get to push the medium forward by finding new and innovative ways. So like, what do I mean by that? So like in control, you know, it's arguable that the person, you know, that you're, you're the physical character you play as the, the person that speaks when that person opens their mouth is arguably not that person. And it's just, it's a game that plays with a lot of like, uh, interdimensional, like, like alternate dimension kind of stuff. And just, uh, um, just all this crazy psychological bullshit. And it's really easy to, to like, if, the more you think about it to think, wow. So not only is this character possibly not the person like who 
this character is like, yes, you're playing as a physical embodiment of uh, Jesse Faden, who's the main character. But like, it's quite possible that the person who speaks and thinks when, when she says dialogue in the game is actually someone else who's kind of like controlling her. But then you think about what that means as you as the player with a physical controller in your hands in a more meta sense, the fact that you're controlling this character. So does that mean you're playing as the, the person in her head instead of, the character themselves and and what does that mean about your input in the world and the fact that the game is called control and obviously it plays with this idea of control and kind of you know the parallel like the supernatural abilities you get and how you manipulate control and power in the in like the in the world of the game itself as well as like the the natural world and the game talks about you know kind of like the the difference between like perceived reality and like all like real reality and and all this stuff and it's just there's just so much to chew on and honestly at the end of the day I could talk about this game and, and ideas and themes from this game and I get so excited about it but I still don't understand any of it like I can't really draw connections and it's just such an exciting game in that respect because you know there are games you play with like touching emotional stories that make you cry and and give you that catharsis that that makes you go wow that's really what a good story is all about and there are games that are you know where the story is kind of like just there to be there and it's fun but it's not groundbreaking and then there are games where the story literally doesn't fucking matter and that's kind of most games to be honest uh, but then there are games like this and it's just like wow like this game is like actually twisting my brain in ways I don't understand and that's exciting and I love how it not only makes you think about the ideas and themes being explored in the narrative itself as a contained idea, but also it makes you think about, you know, the way that your input as a gamer relates to the game itself and, and the world within the game itself, which is just crazy. But aside from that more like whatever the hell I'm talking about perspective, just from a, a sheer gameplay perspective, the game is super fun. The combat is so satisfying in this game. The ability to like manipulate objects and throw shit, that telekinesis ability, so, so satisfying. It just, it feels so good to just grab random shit and throw it. Like it just feels so strong and tight and kinetic and you can just really feel that that mechanic and that the the physics behind it and everything are just really fine-tuned to the point where like they knew this was going to be the most addictive mechanic of the game and it absolutely is and everything comes together so well whether it's like the puzzle solving and the kind of platforming and the combat and the different weapons you can get it's just everything about the game from a gameplay perspective is so so fun i still very much despise kind of the overworld semi-open world-ish parts of the game where you're just kind of navigating trying to figure out where to go i still find that extremely irritating and i was correct when i assumed that the that that was kind of intentional to an extent when i listened to an interview with one of the with the game director who kind of talked about that somewhat being an intentional idea to the point where they almost didn't even include an overworld map which would have driven me insane but yeah dude oh, control it's a game i've been looking forward to playing for a long time I'm a little sad it took me this long to get to it, but I'm so glad I finally played it. I'm really excited for that DLC that's already out on the PS4, but will come to Xbox in June. Yeah, it's just, uh, Remedy is such a special developer. It really is kind of a shame that Microsoft, you know, I don't know if they ever attempted to buy them, but it's kind of really, a sh the, that's kind of a one that got away story for Microsoft, even though controls, you know, Remedy's games don't sell extraordinarily well. You know, they're not massive millions and millions of copy sellers, but I think everything they put out is just fucking fantastic. I'll be super honest, and I'm really embarrassed to admit this. I still never played Alan Wake, which is just like blasphemous, I know, especially in the Xbox community. Um, it's on Game Pass now, so I definitely plan on playing it very soon. But I've actually only ever played Max Payne, Max Payne 2, Quantum Break, and now Control. So definitely plan on going back and, and finally getting into Alan Wake. 
Um, but I'm just really high on Remedy. I think they're such a fantastic developer. They're super underappreciated, underrated. Their games are always so thought-provoking and interesting, just weird in the best ways. And they make great games, fun games, awesome games, and excited to see where they go from here because, uh, like like Respawn Entertainment, they just haven't they haven't let us down yet. So that's you know halfway into the episode. That's all that I've been playing this week. I also played a little bit of golf with your friends, but that's a fun little uh, mini golf game that's on Game Pass. You should definitely check out if you like arcade kind of couch co-op-y friend games. Um, but yeah, let's uh, finally get into this week's news without further ado. Sorry about the long intro, but hopefully if, you, if you've been listening to this show for a while now, you enjoy all that meandering bullshit up front um, and look forward to it just as much as the new segment. If not, let me know, and maybe that's something we can address in the show. I probably actually won't listen to it, but... Uh, because I enjoy all the uh, meandering bullshit before we really get into things. But let's, uh, let's without further ado, the news. All right, so one story that was kind of going around this week that I don't really want to get too much into was the whole idea of the, the GTA 6 release window kind of being revealed, where they... Uh, where they they talked about 2K putting out you know their marketing budget and seeing that the marketing budget that they had planned for 2024 2023 to 2024 was like that marketing budget spiked you know and people were saying oh well that's because they're going to be marketing GTA 6 that's likely the release time for GTA 6 then 2K came out and said no that's actually not true you idiots um, the analyst is incorrect we're taking all of our marketing in house so actually they that budget doesn't reflect any of our games marketing or something like that and basically just said like you're wrong, you're an idiot, shut up. But I still think there's some relevance to this story just because 2024 is my kind of random hunch for when a GTA 6 would be released anyway. So it makes enough sense to me to say that Red Dead Redemption 2 came out in 2018. You give them about five, six years, and that's 2024-ish. Um, so that's about when I think GTA 6 is coming out anyway. So I don't think that contro- that, that that rumor or that kind of train of thought is completely unsubstantiated. So there's some truth to that. Um, although 2K seemed to shoot it down rather quickly. Honestly, do you want another GTA right now when uh, when GTA 5 is still charting every fucking month for some reason? Because people aren't satisfied with just three or four copies of the game, apparently. But our first, like, real, real story of the game, uh, of, of the week, is that in, in a conversation with Business Insider, Xbox's Phil Spencer spoke on the possibility for future game delays due to COVID-19. He says, quote, Through the summer or early fall, I feel pretty good about those games. Games that we are targeting for a year from now or beyond, uh, there will be some impact, but they'll be able to react. Mocap is just something that's basically stopped. We're not going into mocap studios. If you had all your animation captured and you're doing touch-up or individual art production in areas like textures and other things, you're in a better position. If you're waiting for things of either large audio work when it's with symphonies or other things or mocap, then you're held up right now and you're making the progress in areas that you are... uh, even even though we're obviously not traveling to China, we feel good about our progress when it comes to hardware. I've got my take-home unit right now downstairs, and I'm playing on it most nights. I feel good about the software updates we're doing, end quote. So that's basically Phil Spencer saying, as far as, like, immediate future games come, you know, like, games come out in the next few months and such, and the Xbox Series X console itself, we're expecting that to be out pretty much, you know, this fall, no problem. Everything will be fine you know maybe maybe some slight delays maybe a little rough uh waters for some developers kind of getting things together but for the most part everything should be fine um as for people who are making games are coming out you know in a year or two from now games where you know they're in the point of development where they're doing a lot of mocap and things like that meh not so much and so 
I don't know. I mean, I think this is a pretty obvious one that that COVID had to affect, you know, release dates for games to some extent. If anything, I'm actually kind of impressed in in, in uh, just how few games that are imminently releasing that aren't really getting delayed or that he doesn't see getting delayed, at least uh, just for the simple fact that, like, yeah, I understand, like, if you're working on a game like Halo Infinite, you're probably, you know, more than done with all the mo-capping and, and the composing of music and all that shit at this point, but... Still, it's like having to tear down your studio and then build up at home and then figure out a way to communicate and work together remotely is like extremely massive uh, as an undertaking. And I can't imagine how these studios are just like adapting overnight and be like, oh, yeah, we can still we can still make that deadline of November or October or whatever, because you got to keep in mind, like when a developer sets a, a release date. It's usually not like, oh, yeah, our game will be out in October, which means we have plenty of time to get the game done. It's like, okay, our game is out in October. Now that means that, like, we got to get our heads down and get this shit done because now that there's a due date on this project, like, like we got to crack down on it. And if you're already in a situation where it's, like, full steam ahead, all hands on deck, and, you know that deadline deadline is normally hard enough to reach as it is without this work from home kind of thing, breaking up the, the flow of, of, of your work, you know, of your, of your development cycle, then, you know, now it's just been made even worse and even harder by having to be like, okay, how do we communicate? How do we work together? How do we share assets? How do we test and, and, and just, you know, do those things that are so natural in a work environment. I was actually, again, that, that interview with the game director of control, he was talking about kind of the work from home nature right now, um, in his studio. And he's been talking about something really interesting, which is just the way that people just kind of conduct themselves differently on like zoom calls and Microsoft team calls and things like that as, as they would, if they were like in person next to you and just how it not only has the work culture changed, but just kind of the person to person, just, the way we communicate has just changed so much and how these things, it's like you're kind of relearning people and relearning where you stand with people in terms of like the work hierarchy and just uh, the way you, inter- the way you address people and the way you just engage with people and how all that stuff's like new and unfamiliar territory. And I got to think like, if that's something you're struggling with in your studio, if that's something that you're, you're facing a new challenge you're facing, you know, that's something that's so minute but so essential to your day-to-day operation. I can't even imagine the kind of struggles you're facing when it comes to the actual, like, in-the-trenches development of your video game. So, shout-outs to the studios that are somehow making this work. But it doesn't surprise me that games or that Phil Spencer foresees things being, you know, delayed next year. But the fact that, you know, he doesn't foresee a lot of more imminent projects being delayed is is what's more impressive to me. And uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to take that with a grain of salt because I don't know. I, I still think that something big this fall is getting delayed. I don't know if it's Xbox Series X, PS4, Halo Infinite, some other game. I feel like something big is going to get pushed back to 2021. Um, although I feel pretty confident that the Series X itself is is definitely on track. And then our next story here is a uh, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a May month, so we haven't talked about this in a few weeks. Time to do our NPD numbers, our NPD, which tracks you know game sales on both digital and at retail, um, ranked the top twenty best-selling games for the month of April. And uh, the num the, the games are as follows: starting from number one, going down to twenty. We've got Final Fantasy VII Remake at number one. Number two, we've got Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the twenty nineteen game, of course. Uh, number three, we've got Animal. Crossing New Horizons. Uh, number four is NBA 2K20. And then GTA 5, uh, of course. 
And then at six, we got Resident Evil 3. At seven, we got Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 Remastered, the campaign that came out. Uh, number eight, we've got MLB The Show 20. Nine is Madden NFL 20. Ten is Red Dead Redemption 2. Eleven is Just Dance 2020. Twelve is FIFA 20. Thirteen is Mortal Kombat 11. Fifth, uh, Fourteen is Borderlands 3. Fifteen is Predator Hunting Grounds. Sixteen is Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Seventeen, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Eighteen, Persona 5 Royal. 19, Need for Speed Heat, and 20, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. So, in addition to all that, Nintendo Switch remained the best-selling uh, hardware for the month of April. Uh, in dollar sales of PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Switch increased more than 160% when compared to April uh, of 20 when compared to April 2019. So that's fucking massive. That's just a massive just jump in revenue people are stuck at home people are using them stimulus checks to kind of um, get back into gaming or really jump into this hobby something to kind of keep them busy and that's an awesome awesome sign for uh for microsoft and sony and nintendo right now because they're really making some buku bucks uh off of really not doing anything just having their shit out there in the world but you know that more more so than that looking at the games of the month final fantasy 7 remake that, remember, that's a game that's on a single piece of hardware. That's just PlayStation 4 sales, so that's an impressive number right there. Call of Duty Modern Warfare, not imp- impressive. Animal Crossing New Horizons, I'm kind of surprised to see it slip to number three. I would have expected it to be at number two still, or, I mean, to be at number two, only to be bested by Final Fantasy, so that's a little surprising uh, just because, you know, that game's been such a massive, annoying success. It's literally all anyone talks about on the internet. I can't fucking, like look up today's weather without someone trying to make a funny meme or something about Animal Crossing. But, I mean, you gotta keep in account, Modern Warfare is, you know, massive, and it's on way more hardware than Animal Crossing, so it makes sense, but, you know, let's not say, that's not to say that Animal Crossing being at number three is, you know, a, a letdown. That's still very impressive sales numbers, and and, and that's num- month number two, so the game sold like crack in its first month, and it's still selling incredibly strong. Grand Theft Auto 5 at number 5. What do you want me to say at this point that things just stuck on here forever? Pretty notable, uh, Minecraft is not on here. Uh, usually Minecraft is on here somewhere with GTA, so that's definitely something worth pointing out. Let's see what else we got. Uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is a port of a Wii U game that sold a shit ton of copies for a Wii U game, and now is selling incredibly well as a Switch game. I just it, it kind of blows my fucking mind that Mario Kart 8 is a game that came out on the Nintendo Wii U, a console that no one owned in 2014 and still sold like crack on the Wii U and then was just re-released on the Switch in 2017 and is still charting on NPD to this month, keeping in mind that during this time it's only been available on one console at a time. You know, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is only accounting for Switch sales because it's not Mario Kart 8. This is Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, the Switch version. So somehow this game has just been charting. It's been available in some capacity for six years now, and it's still charting on MPD. And unlike Grand Theft Auto and unlike Minecraft, it's only available on one piece of hardware. So that's just like fucking amazing. This is this is the power of Nintendo. The, the fact that they can be like, hey, remember Mario Kart? We're going to give you more Mario Kart. It's the same fucking game as every Mario Kart, but guess what? You're still going to buy it by the millions because it's Mario Kart. And I'm not trying to shit on Nintendo here. I love Mario Kart. I play every Mario Kart. I get it. But like, fuck, man. Like, six years later, people are still just like, oh, man, what am I going to... I guess I'm going to go buy Mario Kart. I finally got finally got $60 saved up after... Uh, I, I, I've been saving, you know... 
$2.12 every month for the past six years, and now I'm going to go buy... I finally saved up enough to go buy Mario Kart 8 Deluxe plus tax. Like, is that what's happening here? Like, what the actual fuck? But, I, I mean, cool. Th this, do you understand what this means? Like, six-year-olds play Mario Kart. So, think about it like this. In 2014, some little fucker was born, and he was a newborn, around the time Mario Kart 8 came to Wii U. And now it's 2020. That little fuckboy is celebrating its sixth birthday, and they just got Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on their Nintendo Switch for their birthday, for their sixth birthday. And that little kid, in its, in its entire life, that kid has, uh, has been living alongside Mario Kart 8, charting on NPD every month. It's just fucking... A, a, it's impressive. It's a little obnoxious, but it's mostly impressive. Uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, cool to see that still on there. Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, those uh, those Weeby games, just they keep on keeping on. Persona 5 too, you know, also just really killing it. But that's our MPDs for this week. You will notice here that, of course, there is nothing uh, Microsoft exclusive related here, and we will continue to see less and less of that, not only because Microsoft has fewer, like, you know, big Animal Crossing, God of War type games coming out, uh, but because the simple fact that Game Pass is going to cannibalize Microsoft's opportunity to ever really get on MPD numbers, which I don't think is something that Microsoft really cares about, but just just remember, it's always going to be or it's always going to be skewed a little bit now because Microsoft games are predominantly, or not predominantly, but Microsoft games are going to be get a heavy percentage of their player base from Game Pass instead of physical or digital retail uh, sales. Uh, our next story here, this is one that's a little hard for me to chew just because I wasn't too familiar on who this, th what this website was, but I'll try to do my best here. So from IGN, G2A uh, has admitted that it has so sold stolen games on its marketplace. In a blog post, the company says that they've admitted to selling 198 illegally obtained copies um, of Factorio, uh, a management sim created by Wubi Software. Uh, as compensation, G2A has agreed to pay Wubi Software 10 times the value of any bank-initiated refund costs that Factorio paid in relation to each of the 198 illegitimate keys sold via the marketplace. So I won't get into all of this. Basically, it's a, it's a long story here. Uh, but there's a quote here that they, that they released. It says, to assure honest, honesty and transparency, we will ask a reputable and independent auditing company to make an unbiased examination of both sides, the developer store and G2A marketplace. The blog post reads, the cost of the first three audits is on us. Every next one will be split 50-50. Wubi Software took G2A up on this offer, uh, saying that after assessing the number of independent audited companies and finding none that would meet our agreed requirements, Wubi and G2A decided that G2A should proceed with any internal investigations. The latest blog post update reads. Um, and so basically the story goes on saying that, you know, G2A is being pretty transparent about the fact that like this did happen and that they are sorry and that they're looking into figuring out a way to make sure it doesn't happen again and to, you know, properly, properly, you know, I don't know, repay uh, for the, the issue at hand here. But just to be so for those who don't know, because I, I didn't really know until the story came out, G2A is this uh, website basically where people can go and like sell keys to digital copies of games they have 
uh, to other users and stuff. So you can like set up your own marketplace, so to speak, kind of like an eBay store or something like that. And you can sell games that you have keys to. I'm not exactly sure how, you know, people obtain these keys and how the whole system works, but it's, it's a legitimate thing. You know, you can buy keys for Xbox Live games, Steam games, PSN games, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they've, there's been this huge push from G2A over the years to really beef up their security. They, they partnered with Microsoft actually a few years ago to implement some Azure um, security features as well. Uh, they've partnered or they've done partnerships with some other security companies to try and really make sure their system is like clad tight and that everything is secure and safe and people can sell games, basically trying to protect developers and publishers from having illegal copies and codes and keys of their games sold on this website, you know, to prevent fraud basically. Um, but obviously this has been a big concern for many over the years. And this is like just a big example of why people have been afraid, a big kind of realization of what this fear has always been about. And basically this isn't the first time anything like this has ever happened because in 2017, basically G2A accused Gearbox of defamatory statements because Gearbox uh, claimed that they had um, basically, you know, had similar experience. So this isn't the first time this company's come up regarding this kind of story. My two cents is basically, and from, from my limited understanding, trying to figure out exactly how this works, it looks like in some cases, publishers and developers do get credit and, co and compensation for these these sold digital games on this website, but it, it depends on the situation. But I, I mean, this is just another one of those like deep nerdy PC gamer things where it's like, guys, stay off these weird corners of the internet. Just just be a be a blind consumer. Go spend big sums of money the uh, the irresponsible way. Go to your go to your online marketplace. Go to your WalMarts and your Best Buys and and go buy the full sixty dollar game. Listen, money kind of inadvertently grows on trees. So treat it as such is all I'm trying to say. I don't really have too much I can get in on this story with. Um, this is more just like thing to kind of put this out there. Clearly, this is a big concern. I don't really even know how you get illegal keys onto this marketplace if they are doing such a good job of, you know, checking and making sure everything is secure and that it's really, really hard to even get illegal or illegitimate copies of a game up on the website to begin with. But clearly, you know, if I were a publisher, this is something where I'd be like, hey, the, uh, the potential earnings are not worth the risk. I'm not going to allow my games to be sold on this website because I just don't even... 198 copies of the game, and that's a smaller game where that happens. So I know it doesn't sound like too many games in the large scheme of things, in the grand scheme of things, but you, you never know if this is just like the first time this has been caught and this kind of thing has been happening, you know, on and off for years and years. So this is going to make it an uphill battle for this company uh, to kind of convince publishers in particular that their marketplace is safe and secure and trustworthy. But yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm at kind of a loss on this one just because I tried to understand a little more about what this website was and what this whole story was about. But it teeters a bit too much on the uh, on the side of on, of computer gamers looking to get a good deal. And you, you, you know me. You know this podcast isn't about you PC nerds out there. It's about, it's about you Xbots. So I'm only looking out for you guys. Uh, and then our next story here is... Um, We'll try. We'll try to kick it back into high gear. We got uh, Ubisoft potentially reviving a, a delisted game. So back in 2012, Ubisoft Montreal released a really well received Scott Pilgrim game on the Xbox Live Arcade and PlayStation Network based on the movie of the same name. 
based on the manga series of the same name. The game was uh, unfortunately delisted at the end of 2014, presumably due to licensing issues. Well, it appears that perhaps the game will be coming back to online marketplaces as early as this week. Scott Pilgrim creator Brian Lee O'Malley tweeted, Bring back Scott Pilgrim the game! To which the official Ubisoft account replied, with the, the considering emoji, the little emoji with the with the fingers on his chin, like oh, thinking about it. Um, so yeah, I can't imagine why an emoji reply on Twitter constitutes a, as news. But hey, here we are. We're talking about it, and it's a slow news week. So yeah, you got that. Plus, the real reason why people want the Scott Pilgrim game to make a comeback is because the ga- is because the game's music was composed by Anamanaguchi, who are possibly the greatest electronic chiptune artists around. Seriously, this entire news story for me is pretty much just about elaborating on my love for this band. You should go check out their 2013 album, uh, record endless fantasy, which is quite literally an amazing record. I highly, highly, highly recommend Anamanaguchi. They're just phenomenal. But yeah, so I know this is a game people often lament. I never actually played it. I, actually, I think I downloaded the demo for it, and I don't remember anything about it, but I have listened to the soundtrack quite a bit. Um, I do know that this is a game that, one of those games that got delisted that kind of gets a lot of attention, you know, when it, when the conversation of uh, digital games being delisted comes up, this is usually like the one that's at the forefront of the conversation, because I remember this game coming out and kind of taking the world from by surprise. People were like, why the hell is this little like movie tie-in game so fun and people I, I believe it's like a brawler game if i'm not correct and if i if i'm if i'm correct it's like a yeah it's like a retro brawler kind of game and people really really enjoy the hell out of it so hopefully this will be making a comeback ubisoft replying with the considering emojis kind of not for the reason that they did it but for the reason that news sites actually start picking up the story over the re- response of an emoji but I, I understand the implication is that they're thinking about it maybe maybe but this is this is one of those things where it's like Ubisoft, you have the money. I'm sure, you know, in in talks with the right people, it wouldn't be too hard to get this game back up. That would be one of those like good faith moves, especially you know in a time like now where Ubisoft has had all of their games kind of in, <laughs> delayed till later quarter. So it's like if you want just a little something out there, just generate a, a tad bit of income in a time where everyone's stuck at home anyway. You might as well just work this out and get this game back on the store and get that little that little burst of revenue, if you will. So. Big possibility, I think now would be kind of the perfect time for a thing like that. It would just be like one of those feel-good stories where it's like, hey, the Scott Pilgrim game is back, and, and everyone's stuck at home with a stimulus check. I guess you you got to go play this game, and then everyone plays it and, and remembers how nostalgic they were for the 80s when they played this game uh, in the 2010s. So, yeah, hopefully that will be coming back to Xbox Live in the near future. But for now, we can only we can only uh, uh, consider this story with a considering emoji. Our next article here is that, or if I, if I may, class, class, if you will, listen to me. Please raise your hands and share with me if uh, if there have been any video game related conventions for 2020 that have uh, that that have been that have forgotten to cancel their events in favor for a digital event sometime this year over COVID-19. Oh, yes, what was that, you greasy, pervy Overwatch kid in the oversized purple Twitch hoodie? Oh, yes. Oh, that's right, BlizzCon. So now BlizzCon has been canceled due to the Rhone's disease, and you can all look forward to all your uh, Blizzard announcements sometime in early 2021 when the online replacement event will take place. Now, Blizzard announces, like, 
some logistical issues and reasoning for why they have to de- delay the event to 2021 instead of just later this year, which I find really weird. I, if I'm not mistaken, BlizzCon's not one I've obviously that I follow too closely, but if I'm not mistaken, BlizzCon generally happens in like August, September. I think, I think September, right? It's like an early fall event. So I don't really understand why this can't just happen in like October, November as a digital event. But they say for like they just vaguely said for like logistical reasons it would have to take place in early 2021. I, I wonder. I almost wonder if that's their way of saying, hey, listen, people are gonna be so fucking tired of all these digital event replacements for all these game shows and things like that. That if we just space our thing out enough, because frankly we don't have anything to show that's coming out imminently, then it will just garner more attention. But also, I don't feel like Blizzard's a company that needs to do that because. You know, Blizzard's one of those companies. They're like Rockstar. You know, if they if they if they say Overwatch, you know, everyone's gonna just like snort and turn their head and be like, oh, you know, just be entranced by this, uh, enchanted by this this news of a weeby little shooter game that they love. So I, I don't feel like Blizzard's the company that really needs to kind of get their own space to do their own announcement. But nonetheless, it's it's possible that that's what's happening here. Um, but if you were looking forward to BlizzCon. 2020 just know that it has been delayed uh, and it will be in the form of a digital only event and likely in my, my two cents is that they don't really have anything to show anyway that's like so imminent and this just buys them time to be like oh well now when we do hold the event it will be closer to the release of insert name of video game here and then it will be able to kind of capitalize on that hype a little more um, reminder that there's that Diablo mobile game that's supposed to be coming out soon that could be something that's imminent. There's that Overwatch 2. There's Diablo uh, 4, which we know is in the works. So a- any one of these games that we're, we're waiting to hear more about could be 2021 titles. You never know. I, I believe Overwatch 2 is a 2021 game. Hasn't that been confirmed already? I- I'm not sure. Uh, but our next one here is that Grounded, the new game from Outer Worlds developer Obsidian Entertainment, comes to Xbox One and PC on July 28th. But Microsoft has teased a brief demo that will be exclusive at some point in June, giving eager players an early peek at the studio's first exclusive game as an Xbox Game Studios team. So from Windows Central, the Grounded demo runs from June 9th to, to the 14th, set to provide a one day in the life of Grounded single-player campaign uh, that excludes multiplayer and long-term progression two crucial aspects planned in the experience but also serves as a tease for the forthcoming public debut microsoft states that a limited number of slots will be available for the demo and available on a first-come first-served basis the xbox one test will be available exclusively through xbox inside program uh, microsoft's opt-in initiative for trailing uh, for trail for trialing upcoming xbox one system updates and select games while also available via the Xbox Insider Hub for PC on Windows 10. The demo also branches to Steam through the Steam Game Festival, which you're not supposed to play there because it's not where we play Xbox games, you nerd. And then Grounded to Early Demo hits, uh, you know, just a reminder, hits on June 9th, and Early Access for the game debuts on July 28th. And then the formal, like, official launch for the game will be sometime in 2021, so stay tuned for those, those dates Pretty soon you'll be able to play Grounded if you want to partake in this demo. I'll probably just wait for July 28th and play the whole, you know, the whole early access thing. But nonetheless, I know there are some people out there who listen to this show who are excited for this game. So this is uh, good news. Even more Xbox first party studio shit that's coming imminently that we can play because this is this is actually a pretty good year for Xbox games. We still got, you know, Wasteland 3 and Grounded and Halo Infinite, so... 
tons and tons of new games here. Probably a Forza game at the end of the year. And our final wrap-up story for the week is that 343 Industries have announced Halo 3 is set to begin its test flight for PC in June. Of course, this test flight will be available uh, to those part of the Halo Insider program, and which marks a rather quick turnaround for Halo 3, considering that Halo 2 Anniversary just made its way to the Master Chief Collection on PC on May 12th. With just a month between releases, it seems that 343 might be able to get their entire Master Chief Collection on PC before the launch of Halo Infinite this holiday season, giving PC players access to every Halo game that's not called Halo 5 Guardians. So this is a rather impressive turnaround, especially considering the fact that there are actually a fair amount of people I've seen online bitching about how Halo 2 Anniversary has some performance issues and bugs on PC. So it surprises me that they're just going to jump straight into Halo 3 when this is apparently a, a, a glaring problem. I don't know if they've already addressed these issues or what, but it seems like they're kind of eager to get these Halo games out on the PC, which is surprising after, which means, you know, in June, Halo 3 will be out. And then after that, they'll only have ODST and four, and then they'll have everything, uh, everything from the master chief collection, at least on, on PC, because they already have, reach one and two and now we're getting three so this has been an impressive turnaround at first i was like oh kind of going slow with halo reach and halo one but now they're now they're ramping up which is exciting i think i i stand by my point that they're trying to get all of this shit on pc to kind of serve as like a little a little warm-up a little teaser build up for halo infinite i mean that's obviously what they're doing they still haven't showed infinite um but this is their kind of way just saying hey keep halo on the mind keep halo on the mind here we go Here's another one and another one. And, and they're just telling PC gamers, hey, Halo is coming. It's just a little way at saying, like, what do we have that we can use to kind of dole out over the months to get people hyped for Halo? Certainly not teasers and more information about Halo Infinite. We'll just uh, we'll just give them ports, you know. Now, of course, I mean, this is actually a big deal, bringing Halo to PC. And I'm very excited for people who've been wanting this for a long time that they'll be able to play these fantastic games on PC uh, finally, once and for all. Um, but, yeah. Here we are, Halo 3, the best Halo, coming to PC next month. Be excited for that. So that's it for all of our main stories of the week. Of course, there are those important enough news stories, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions, uh, of which we have a handful. The first one here is that in celebration of Pac-Man's 40th anniversary, Minecraft has added some new DLC that unlocks new power-ups and stages themed to the classic arcade game. After completing all 10 mazes, players can even create their own. The Pac-Man DLC can be found in the marketplace today. No Man's Sky is headed to Xbox Game Pass and will be available to subscribers sometime in June. Square Enix and Crystal Dynamics have announced that Marvel's Avengers will be getting its first War Table stream on June 24th that will showcase brand new gameplay and co-op footage. Basically, this is like a little Nintendo Direct for Marvel's Avengers, hosted by Square Enix and Crystal Dynamics, of course. Next up, we got Fast and Furious Crossroads, a game that absolutely no one asked for and only I want to play, has been delayed and is now headed out. It is now headed for an August 7th, 2020 release date, so... I will look forward to that while everyone else continues to forget about its existence. And then finally, according to a few entertainment industry journalist postings on Twitter, a TV show adaptation of Square Enix's video game series Kingdom Hearts is in production. The TV adaptation would be coming to Disney+, and we can only hope that the atomic bomb drops and spares us all before this nightmare can become fully realized. 
So that is going to do it for all of our news stories of this week. Now we will wrap up with the new game releases of the month of the week, as well as our games with gold. And we now have June's games with gold. So we'll go over that as well. But first, our our, uh, our games this week, we've got 15 new games coming, uh, according to Xbox Wire, that you can dig into, that you can look forward to, you little Xbox nerds. Our first one here, you ready for it? You ready for it? Minecraft Dungeons. So this is a game where basically a bunch of kids uh, find themselves, you know, crafting and, and crafting all the time and they build and they create and they share it and they put it on TikTok and they put it on YouTube and they use their iPads and they play it to their heart's content. But then one day they, they Minecraft a little too deep and they find themselves deep in the dungeons of hell. So... I, I don't know. I, I'm a little conflicted about the kind of morality of this game because as the image shows here, there are four Minecraft-looking friends exploring a lava-y, fiery dungeon. And I think it's really a little fucked up because obviously, you know, Minecraft is very big with the young audience. And this is kind of an analogy for how, you know, life can be all about fun and creation and being on the upside of things, being on the on the surface, playing in the grass, building in the sun, um, as you do in regular Minecraft, but Minecraft Dungeons is about kind of the seedy underbelly of a child's life where an uncle takes them down deep into the dungeon, into the fiery lava pits of hell and says, you know, this is when you have to fight your way back to safety. And it's kind of Microsoft's way of embodying that in a game. And while I applaud them for having the courage to tackle such a sensitive topic, I also find it a little controversial that they'd even make a kid's game about such a thing, you know, about those moments where, you know, an uncle, trustworthy uh, adult figure takes you somewhere dark below, takes you into the dungeons, into the fiery depths of hell, and um, frankly has their way with with your innocence. And that's what this game's about. And if you think you can stomach those mature themes, I think this is a game you're really going to enjoy. Uh, it is included on Game Pass, and it is Xbox One X enhanced, although I don't know that those visual enhancements are really going to do much to help you appreciate the horrors you'll be subjected to in this game. Our next game here is called, hopefully a little more positive, we've got Age of Wonders Planetfall Invasions DLC. And that's a really stupid name for a game, but don't let that make you think the game is stupid, because the game is not stupid. I can assure you it is very cool that you play as like a king lion that stands on its hind legs and has swords and guns and is in a very Gundam's Japanese universe um so i mean how could how can a game like that not be cool uh and if you don't believe me try it for yourself it's included on game pass it's xbox one x enhanced so you'll be able to see all that fur detail and great 4k resolution our next game here speaking of speaking of furries we got mortal kombat 11 aftermath which features everyone's favorite 80s uh furry robocop you'll be able to to RoboCop block everyone in Mortal Kombat 11 with your RoboCop shield, with your RoboCop helmet for when you ride a motorcycle to keep your head safe. But what I don't understand is why RoboCop, a man of such 20, 21st century um, aesthetics and sensibilities, is here fighting a creature with devil eyes and forearms. I think... It's kind of silly to waste your time with that. You know, you are a robot. You have VR technology. You have probably a um, a chip implanted in your brain that helps you, like, you know, read augmented uh, augmented information. And you're wasting your time with this stupid demon. And um, which led me to think, okay, well, Jesse, maybe you're being a little bit 
unfair to the situation. Maybe what's happening here is the reason why Robokosh has his his sword shield out and is blocking the attacks of this four four armed devil creature, who's obviously female. Is uh, the fact that maybe this is a love interest coming, trying to break down those metaphorical walls and say, Robocop, I know I'm a bad guy and you're a cop. But I don't think we should let our day jobs get in the way of our romance. And I think that's kind of really beautiful that Mortal Kombat is kind of getting away from the fatalities and the gruesome deaths and kind of exploring the the romance between two very unlike forms of sentient life. And that's a really cool game. It's an Xbox One X enhanced, so you can definitely see that love unfold in true 4K. So that's a really cool feature. Our next game here is called Many Faces Console Edition. This is a, looks like Bubble Bobble, but it's not Bubble Bobble. So my recommendation this week is that you go ahead on your NES. Uh, it's on the NES Classic, if you, if you got that. And you play Bubble Bobble, a very great classic NES game. Our next game here is called Castle Pals. This is a game I, I take umbrage with uh, because, yes, there's a female character in this Mario-looking lava dungeon. And she seems to be abusing her friend by standing on him to get across the lava. You know, it's one thing when Mario does it, you know, he sees a floating turtle and he jumps on it to kind of use as a stopgap to get from one platform to the next over the lava. That's okay. You know, turtles' lives don't really matter all that much. They're, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, once they hit that lava, they're turtle soup. Um, but I do take umbrage with the fact that this girl would be willing to just throw her friend in the fire for a chance to get over that uh, that lava pit. So maybe it's kind of a commentary on on the decisions of of our red our red hatted plumber. Um, but I don't think that you know in an effort to make that kind of commentary and bring that awareness you know to the public. Um, I don't think that the lives of these eight bit characters should be lost. So that's a little fucked up. But good game nonetheless. I hear the graphics are great. Uh, gene gen genetic disaster is a game that's four players. And so we won't really get into that. Cause I don't even know four people. I don't even know three people I could play with to make a four players. Uh, but our next game after that is called those who remain, which is a game with very many arms reaching out. So it is like a dark quarter, dark corridor. It looks very horror esque. It is Xbox one X enhanced. So it's very scary. Um, but there are just dozens, I would guess 30 plus hands reaching out from both sides of the walls in this image. And I don't know, like, I, I think that's kind of a cool thing from an aesthetic perspective perspective. You know, it's like, Oh, how cool would that be? I actually think that'd be a really cool concept for a haunted house. If you had like a, a tight corridor or tight cor or like hallway where you had to like maneuver. And then you just had all these hands reaching out, kind of grabbing at you. Of course you'd have to use like fake, hands because you can't have real hands touching what all was social distancing but I really think that's a cool aesthetic for a horror game like do not get me wrong what I don't find interesting what I what I don't find particularly appealing about this is that horror is all about you know scaring people and when I see a bunch of hands reaching out while I'm walking down a hallway I don't feel scared you know I don't care that I don't know who, whose bodies these arms belong to. I don't care, you know, that these hands are reaching out to touch me because when I see 30 plus hands reaching out towards my body, I see 30 people trying to lend a hand and help and support. And I think that's actually kind of touching that, you know, I'm sure the developers behind those who remain thought they were making a really scary game, but what they actually ended up doing was making a really emotionally supportive game because this is a great game where people who feel isolated and alone and scared, which is a normal setting for a horror game can actually go and feel uh, cared for and supported. And like, there's someone out there to quite literally lend a hand when needed. And 
that's actually just something I think we really need, especially in today's kind of climate where social climate where people are just always looking to, you know, boot on the like boot on the neck kind of thing. This is um, just a, a touching thing. Uh, our next game here is called Shantae and the Seven Sirens. I thought Shantae was a girl, like a genie girl with purple hair. But in this game, I'm seeing a, a muscular Dwayne Johnson looking fish head guy. So I don't know what happened to Shantae here, but she absolutely should not have gotten that haircut because she, she literally looks like a fish monster. And I don't really care how uh, offensive that sounds, to be honest. And then we got Atomic Crops, our next game. This is a farming simulator with uh with uh evil monsters so you can play that if you enjoy a nice twist on a classic genre we've got indie uh as our next game this is a, a fighting game i don't really enjoy fighting games i'd rather I, I think it's about time someone finally makes a fighting game where it's about non-violence i think that'd be much more interesting but i digress we got ultimate fishing simulator which is a fantastic game highly 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 recommend um, you thought fishing and Animal Crossing was good. Wait till you see this Bass Pro Shop simulator. And then we've got uh, Geo Rifters, which is a very fun game where this old man with a clock on his chest and a fire hydrant for a head uh, can shoot sludge out of the, the left side of his brain. A- enemies, uh, I'm very off-put by this, but it's Xbox One X Enhanced, so clearly Microsoft saw a, a good reason to uh, update the visuals on this game because that's how Xbox One X Enhanced games work. Our next game here is called Bug Fables, The Everlasting Sapling, which I'm just going to move past because I'm really tired of, of, of making up things. And then the next game is called Little Misfortune, which is about a girl and a fox in the woods. So I assume this is a spiritual... Su- Without reading any further, I assume that's a spiritual successor to Dora the Explorer. Dora, by the way, really digging that French look you're doing now. It's pretty cool. It's very mysterious. It's very uh, uh, very Sherlock Holmes looking of you. And then we've got The Last Scape, which is a hot air balloon in the sky. I don't understand why they thought it was a good idea to put the camera perspective so very far away. Um, it would be very hard to control that hot air balloon knowing that it's like off in the distance. But if you like games with awful camera controls, it sounds like that's a good game for you. And I know I do, so I'm going to go play that. But that's it for all of our new games. Thank you for bearing with us. As a reminder, last few days of May, you've got for games with gold V rally Four. download that before the month's all over. You got Warhammer 40 K inquisitor martyr, which is available until June 15th. So you still got some time on that. On the Xbox 360 backwards compatibility side, we got Sensible World of Soccer, which you missed out on, so fuck you. And then Overlord 2, which is available until the very end of the month. So go ahead and download that as well. But wait, there's more because June's Games of Gold have already been announced. So we've got our four games. We got we got Shanti, which is available. I'm sorry, I can't see which one it is. I, I need to zoom in this, and I didn't. Uh, but we got one of the Shanti games, which is available for the whole month of June. We got Coffee Talk from June 16th to July 15th, which I'm actually really interested in playing. I played the demo of this on Switch, and I actually really enjoyed it. It's kind of a guilty pleasure game for me, so I'm actually really excited to play that uh, fully now that it's on Xbox. It is a... Um, yeah, it's like you, you like work as a barista in this little cafe and you just talk to like these little anime little freaks who just like sit down and you just have kind of conversations with people at the coffee shop and it's just kind of a fun, mellow, chill game with a lo-fi background. Speaking of lo-fi, we're one this podcast in a second. And our other two games are an Xbox original. We got Destroy All Humans, which is available for, uh, for the first half of June. And then Sign Mora, which is available. It's like a it's like a, a shoot 'em up 
ship combat game for the second half of June, which is a 360 game, all backwards compatible, of course. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Xbox on as always guys i really appreciate the support i'm not gonna lie i i feel like this episode was a little weak due to a bad news week or something i don't know but um i really appreciate you know all the new subscribers all the longtime subscribers it really does mean a lot to me that anyone listens to this show and i i i'll be honest i feel pretty undeserving of any support or or of this show at all i'm not just trying to like you know seek pity or or uh, or or you know some fish for compliments or anything like that i just I genuinely appreciate the support. It truly means a lot to me. It makes doing this show a lot more fun, knowing that there are people on the other side who uh, of the uh, of the of the audio. There there are other people listening to this show who are somehow enjoying it. And um, I don't know. It's just it's fun to do. Let me know if you ever have any suggestions, things you do or don't like about the show. I want to hear them, even if I don't listen to them. If you want to send me nice reviews, iTunes five stars. Hit that shit. It's great. I don't actually check my iTunes reviews, so I have no idea if you guys have been doing that or not. Um, so I guess I'm just as responsible for this issue. Um, but yeah, I really truly appreciate everyone who's ever listened to this show and who, uh, you know, whether you've been here since episode one or you just started now, I, I greatly, greatly appreciate your support and, uh, look forward to hearing all from you throughout this week about this episode. And hopefully next week we'll have a more news filled episode. Remember we're getting close into June territory. So next week we'll be June, uh, the show will go live on June 4th. And I'm assuming that pretty much any day from there, either that week or the next week, we'll get our next inside Xbox. I assume it's the next week, but this will be a big one. This will be, you know, I, I I'm expecting, uh, Xbox series X, you know, details, pricing, release dates, things like that. So this is a massive one. So we're pretty much one or two weeks away from some serious Xbox Series X news, and I'm super looking forward to that, and I hope you are as well. Um, but until then, thank you for listening to the podcast. Eric, if you will do us the favor of, uh, if you will do me the honor of playing us out with one of your few songs I have downloaded on my computer because you simply refuse to send me those new tracks you've been working on. Thank you so much. Thank you.